Welcome to the Expert Series, brought to you by the Lupus Foundation of America. Our health education team is here to bring you experts in lupus to discuss topics to help you live better. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. My name is Lauren, and I will be your host. Today, we will be discussing reproductive health with lupus, and I am pleased to welcome our guest, Jane Salmon, rheumatologist and director of the Lupus and APS Center of Excellence, and Colette and Keen Research Professor at Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. She is also Professor of Medicine in Obstetrics and Gynecology at Weill Cornell Medical College. Dr. Salmon was elected to the National Academy of Medicine and Master of the American College of Rheumatology. She's led important research on pregnancy and lupus and high-risk factors related to lupus, such as preeclampsia and antiphospholipid syndrome. Welcome, Dr. Salmon. Thank you for coming Thank today. You. Thank you. Um, you have done a lot of work that really provides a deeper understanding of some of the complications of pregnancy with lupus and some of the more high-risk features of lupus with pregnancy. Can you talk to us a little bit today about antiphospholipid syndrome, APS, and preeclampsia uh, with respect to lupus? So antiphospholipid syndrome, or APS, is a group of clinical manifestations and a lab test. So patients with APS either have blood clots in arteries or veins, thromboses, that could be a stroke or a heart attack or phlebitis, and they also have pregnancy complications. That can be preeclampsia, poor growth of the baby, late-term miscarriages, that's after 10 weeks, or multiple miscarriages before 10 weeks. It's not infertility. It's, it's miscarriages or, or stillbirths. And some patients have both the clotting problem and the pregnancy problem, and some only have one or the other. And the key defining characteristic of the syndrome is a particular group of autoantibodies. Those are proteins in the blood that recognize elements inside your body and cause problems because of that. And lupus patients have many autoantibodies, and among the autoantibodies in lupus patients are antiphospholipid antibodies in about 25% of lupus patients. And there are also patients who don't have lupus who just have antiphospholipid syndrome. They have autoantibodies that are specific anti-cardiolipin, it's called, or anti-beta-2 glycoprotein-1, or a lupus anticoagulant. Those are the names of the autoantibodies one has with antiphospholipid syndrome. And these uh, women may simply have the pregnancy complications or the clotting problems, or men, in fact, um, and not lupus. Why do we think about antiphospholipid syndrome in terms of, of pregnancy because of the complications it can cause. And we really screen all lupus patients for these autoantibodies because it can direct our care. It can help us prognosticate, predict how likely they are to have a problematic pregnancy. And it also will direct how closely we follow them during their pregnancies. So if it's causing clotting throughout the body, is this why it increases the risk for preeclampsia or, or does it in, 
does it increase the risk of preeclampsia? I guess that's the first question. And if yes, then is that the reason why, or is there another reason? That's, that's a really great question. So let me tell you a little about preeclampsia. Preeclampsia mm -hmm. is a disease only of pregnancy, and the patient and the doctor perceive this when they get high blood pressure or have protein in their urine. If it really gets out of control, they can have eclampsia, which is seizures. They can have low platelet count. They can have liver problems. But it's mostly kidney problems, protein in the urine, and high blood pressure. And that occurs after 20 weeks. And sometimes it occurs really towards the very end of pregnancy. There is no treatment for preeclampsia except delivering the baby and the placenta because the placenta is making factors that are damaging to the mother's blood vessels, which is why they have all of these clinical manifestations. But what's interesting about preeclampsia from a scientific standpoint and what my lab has studied, we have mouse models of preeclampsia actually, um, is that animal models and patients actually have problems with placental development in the very beginning of pregnancy. And those are clinically silent, so the doctor obstetrician, rheumatologist, and the patient seem to think things are going um, pretty well clinically. The blood pressure is fine. There's no protein in the urine. The patient feels okay. The patient doesn't have a lot of edema or swelling. Um, but during that time, the placenta isn't growing properly. And yes, one could consider um, clotting as a problem. And there sometimes are little clots but around the placental area. But what's really going on in preeclampsia and in other manifestations of APS-associated pregnancy complications is there's inflammation as the placenta is developing. So traditionally, one treats that, treats APS patients with blood thinners to decrease clotting. So patients with APS um, are on warfarin, when they're not pregnant, you can't take that when you're pregnant, but they're on uh, injections of heparin-like drugs during their pregnancy, and they're often on low-dose aspirin. It turns out that these drugs that we think we're using as blood thinners also have anti-inflammatory function. And most importantly, I think the work of my lab has identified particular molecules that are very inflammatory and cause damage to the placenta that we can use, we can block these molecules and use preventative therapies in very high-risk women. And we're actually doing a trial right now in very high-risk women, women who've had preeclampsia, who have lupus, who have antiphospholipid syndrome, and who are on the blood thinners, the aspirin and the heparin, but have still had these complications. So we're adding an experimental treatment that's anti-inflammatory. So yes, we worry about clotting in pregnancy and in APS, but inflammation is really also important. And women with APS are at marked increased risk for preeclampsia. Wow, that's really helpful in understanding what some of those high-risk factors are. One other thing about um, Another element to think about in terms of risk, it's not just antiphospholipid antibodies. The other risk factors we think about and that we've identified in a study, there was a, a national study that 
enrolled 700 patients, about over 400 of them had lupus and about 150 had APS. And we followed them all through pregnancy. And this was a study that um, my team led. And we then looked at what were the determinants at baseline. So at t- before 12 weeks of pregnancy, mm. we saw every patient. What, when we looked at 12 weeks, and then we look at what happened to their pregnancy, what are the risk factors that um, are associated with problems as opposed to no problem? And having a history of high blood pressure, having antiphospholipid antibodies were important issues. And women of color, independent of their medical condition, were at increased risk. And it's not related to access of care because they were all in the study and seen every month of pregnancy by similar doctors. It is a very interesting question that we're hoping to pursue. Um, And finally, having lupus increased your risk. So APS alone was not as strong a risk factor as APS plus lupus. Gotcha. So APS plus lupus, because they can exist alone. So APS plus lupus. And when someone is has lupus, knows they have lupus, and they are considering getting pregnant. They want to start their family. APS testing is something that is done regularly. Is that is that right? Yes, you would get a blood test for antiphospholipid antibodies and for certain other lupus mm-hmm. autoantibodies called SSA and SSB or Rho and La because they can affect the the baby in utero. So those are two blood tests that you would get either as soon as you become pregnant or when you're contemplating pregnancy to help you and your doctor discuss your relative risks, your management, how often you should be seen, if there are any particular medications you should be on. And and it seems that most of the information going out is that for people wanting to become pregnant, they really want to have their lupus flares under control for six months before getting pregnant? Is that generally what you would recommend as well? I mean, ideally, it's six months. That's a long time, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. terribly, terribly important to have your lupus at its lowest level on drugs that are keeping you quiescent on a stable dose of drugs. And certainly, don't stop all your drugs as soon as you become pregnant. There are many mm-hmm. drugs that you need to keep your lupus in control that are not dangerous to the pregnancy. What's dangerous to the pregnancy is a big lupus flare. So you, if you're contemplating pregnancy, you and your doctor can rearrange your medicines a little to take pregnancy-compatible medicines. Many patients with lupus get a baby aspirin a day when they become pregnant. Hydroxychloroquine is safe and may be actually helpful in terms of preventing some of the complications, so don't stop your hydroxychloroquine. Very low doses of steroids are probably fine. Um, if you're on uh, meclofenamate mofetil, you can be switched to azathioprine, which is a similar drug and is safe in pregnancy. There are certain drugs you should not be on and should be stopped three months before becoming pregnant, so you have to discuss those with your doctor and you have to rearrange mm-hmm. your meds. But don't just stop them. It's dangerous. Wow. That's really helpful, too. I think that it's overwhelming for, you know, as, as a health educator, I hear 
hear from people who, who want to become pregnant. And it seems like it's an overwhelming thing, but to know that there are so many medications that they can continue on in, under the guidance of their doctor and that will help have a safer pregnancy. That's a, that's a really exciting development from, from years in the past of what was known about lupus and pregnancy. So that's, that's wonderful. The care of a lupus patient has to be with a team of the obstetrician and the rheumatologist together, discussing the medications, discussing the frequency of visits, discussing the type of tests that are done at each visit. Um, 80% of lupus patients who become pregnant when their disease is quiescent will have a totally normal pregnancy. Mm. 20% of them might have a problem. Many of them are quite minor. Some are serious. If, if the patients have the risk factors I talked about. But the patient needs to help the two doctors coordinate care. Usually, a lupus patient would be seen every month and towards the end of pregnancy every other week. And maybe the last few weeks, maybe every week, to make sure they're not developing preeclampsia and the baby's growing uh, well. If the baby stops growing well, sometimes patients are induced towards the end of pregnancy because mm-hmm. the baby will be safe. That's really important. I'm glad that you mentioned that, that that communication among the obstetrician and the rheumatologist is, is so important. And sometimes it takes a little bit of work on the patient's side because it's not always possible that it's within the same health care system or the same hospital. So sometimes patients will actually have to carry and, and provide that documentation from the rheumatologist to their obstetrician and, and vice versa. I'm glad you mentioned that as, a, as an important part of care. I guess that also continues um, in the postpartum period as well. Can you um, talk to us a little bit about what, what you've seen or what you know about disease flares with lupus and what people who say someone has worked with their rheumatologist and their obstetrician and they've had a, a great pregnancy with lupus. They've been able to manage their flares throughout pregnancy, what are the expectations postpartum? And then I guess on the flip side, what are, what are some of the concerns that, that someone might want to discuss with their doctor? Again, in our large prospective study, we looked very hard at whether pregnancy was associated with flares in lupus patients. That's been an area of, uh, controversy and concerns both from the standpoint of the rheumatologist, uh, the obstetrician, and the patient. And when patients' disease is quiescent, when they contemplate and become pregnant, the Mm -hmm. frequency of flares is about 20%. And those flares, the vast majority, don't require any treatment. So it might be there's a rash or the patient may be a little achy, or the autoantibodies may go up. And those are part of the definition of a flare, not that the patient feels terrible or has a life-threatening visceral complication. Um, about 5 or 6% of our patients did have flares that needed treatment, but most of those needed just a slight um, increase in steroids or the addition of low-dose steroids if they hadn't been on it before. We had virtually no new onset renal disease. The patients who did have renal flares were patients who had existing 
renal disease, but it was quiescent when they became pregnant. But again, even those um, didn't need, um, most of them didn't need big changes or serious changes in medications. And when we asked the question about flares postpartum, which is something that's commonly seen in rheumatoid arthritis, um, that 30% of rheumatoid arthritis patients get a flare of their arthritis postpartum. Um, in lupus patients, we didn't see more flares than we had seen during pregnancy. So again, maybe between two and six months postpartum, we saw about 20% of patients having very mild flares that didn't need treatment, and about five or six percent who may have had flares that needed um, modest interventions, shifting of their medications. And again, only one patient had a flare of renal disease, and that patient had existing renal disease in the past. No new renal disease. So I think lupus, lupus doesn't flare during pregnancy if your disease is quiescent at the beginning. The, the problem is if your disease is active when you become pregnant, I think you're at really increased risk, particularly if you have active renal disease, because renal disease of any cause is associated with increased frequency of preeclampsia. So if you've got active renal disease, proteinuria, none of our patients had proteinuria. That was part of the requirement in the study. You couldn't be in it. So if you have proteinuria or other evidence of active renal disease, you really shouldn't contemplate a pregnancy. You should mm -hmm. wait until your disease is quiescent. That's really interesting. So really the bottom line being when healthy with lupus, and the lupus is quiescent or, or in remission and well-controlled, a patient can expect to have a safe pregnancy and very little risk of flares after delivery. That seems to be the key thing, right, that lupus being under control. Yes, that is a, key, a really key thing, and you and your doctor should discuss when pregnancy will be safe because because of our work and the work of many other lupus investigators uh, in the context of pregnancy, I think the community, uh, the medical community, uh, is getting an understanding of when pregnancy is safe in a lupus patient. Mm -hmm. And there are all sorts of experts in lupus pregnancy that one could ask one's general rheumatologist to consult if they have concerns. You could even get your own consultation from one of us who is interested and expert in lupus pregnancy because lupus is not common and lupus pregnancy is even less common. So if your rheumatologist is uncomfortable with it, um, I think one can get opinions and guidance and that reassures both the rheumatologist, the obstetrician, and the patient. That's a really great point, making sure that that people do reach out to someone who's comfortable with treating a patient during their pregnancy. Um, what should someone do if, I guess, they become pregnant and then their lupus is flaring? Maybe they weren't planning on a pregnancy and it just kind of happened. What's, what should they first do? Definitely don't stop medicines unless they're known to be teratogenic. That means cause birth defects in babies, and those medicines are extremely few, and it's methotrexate, 
uh, meclofenamate, mofetil, um, and cytoxin, of course. Um, then immediately call your rheumatologist because obstetricians aren't the individuals to treat a lupus flare. Perfect. Uh, That's and, great guidance. And I'm really grateful that you've taken the time to talk to us a little bit about some of the risk factors for people who are considering pregnancy and just some of the things to discuss with uh, one's provider, both their rheumatologist and obstetrician. Dr. Salmon, is there anything else that you would want to add that maybe we didn't cover? Um, I've spent a lot of time saying, wait, wait, wait till your disease is quiescent. And there's also a biological clock that mm -hmm. women face, mm -hmm. and that can make you anxious, and, and it's realistic. And what I'd um, like to close with is that oocyte preservation and embryo preservation are not contraindicated in patients with lupus. Again, you have to do it at the right time in your disease, but if you can't become pregnant for health reasons at a specific time, you may be able to undergo oocyte retrieval or embryo preservation so that you can become pregnant at a later time. So one shouldn't wow, feel like the clock is, is, is the only thing driving them. What an incredible, um, what an incredible thought and, and opportunity that is out there. Thank you for sharing that. I know that will give a lot of women hope who, like you said, they, they're ready in, in their mind and their hearts maybe, but, but they need to get that lupus under control. I'm glad that there's, there are options out there. So then if that's the case, would, they, would a patient want to talk specifically to their rheumatologist first, or how would they start that conversation? So, so again, that, that, that's a team effort. Obstetrician has to look at the hormonal and obstetric aspects. And then the rheumatologist has to say it's okay in terms of lupus disease activity and then may want to change a few things at the time of induction. So, for example, if you have antiphospholipid syndrome and you can get a lot of estrogens, you may need to have anticoagulation. You know, there are different protocols we mm -hmm. use. There's not a lot of experience in this, but we know what to be concerned about and what to try to prevent. So when it's a new area, but it's something that's feasible and there are best practices. So that again, and you, most medicines are okay, but you may wanna switch, some of them may have to be um, switched temporarily. So mm -hmm. I think that again, we have to have this teamwork between the obstetrician or fertility expert who will um, do the retrievals and uh, the rheumatologist who makes sure that the patient's a good, at a good place in their pregnancy. That's great. I will say just from, from everyone at the Lupus Foundation, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Your expertise in rheumatology and in obstetric and gynecological health is a combination that is so important for uh, progressing the field. And I just thank you for your time today, Dr. Salmon. And I want to thank the lupus community for participating in my studies because all this information I'm sharing 
would have not been possible if nearly 400 lupus patients from all over the United States allowed us to ask them questions and get blood samples every month of their pregnancy and postpartum. So Mm -hmm. it's a team. The patients are a team in enabling knowledge to give them a little more control of their disease. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Salmon. Thank you, Dr. Salmon, for joining us today. We really appreciate all the information that you shared about reproductive health with lupus. And for those of you listening in, I encourage you to check out our website at lupus.org, where you can learn even more about reproductive health with lupus. And be sure to check out Season 2 of the Expert Series, the episode on planning a pregnancy. If you'd like to learn more about living well with lupus, you can check out additional resources on the National Resource Center on Lupus, which you can find at lupus.org forward slash resources. And if you'd like to talk to one of our health educators, you can submit an inquiry online at lupus.org forward slash health educator. To connect with others who are living with lupus, check out our online community, Lupus Connect, where you can talk with others, find emotional support, and discuss practical insights for coping with the daily challenges of lupus. You can find the community at lupus.org forward slash resources forward slash lupus connect. Thank you.